Hello and welcome to episode two of Dimensions of Imagination, the podcast where we talk about anthology TV. Uh, right now we're covering the old school original Twilight Zone for four episodes. And last week we did the first episode, the debut pilot of the Twilight Zone, uh, Where Is Everybody? And this week we are doing, uh, we didn't plan on this, but this is actually episode two of the original series, uh, one for the Angels we're not doing these Twilight Zone episodes or any any episodes from any of these shows we're covering in any particular order. Just kind of what we want to cover, and this was one that uh, Jackie wanted to cover. Uh, once again, I'm I'm Joey, and with me is Jackie. Hello, everyone. So we are back again, like Joey said, with episode two. This episode originally aired October 9th of 1959. Again, written by Rod Serling. And directed by Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino. I did not. I've never heard that name before. So, female director. I really? Believe. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, notable for the time. I'm sure. Probably not too many female directors in TV at the time. I um, hope I'm right about that. Yeah. The um October 9th, It's uh. It's October right now while we're recording this. So we're not too far off of when this episode actually uh, the anniversary of this episode airing. We have three main actors, really, um, in this episode. We have the main character, whose name is Lou Bookman, and he is uh, played by Ed Wynn. And you have a fun fact about this this guy. It's impossible to have watched this episode and not think about the Mad Hatter from the, I believe, 1950 Disney animated version of Alice in Wonderland because Ed Wynn plays the Mad Hatter in that and his his vocal stylings are very distinct. He has sort of a lisp going on in a way that he the way that he speaks it's very distinctive and it, and it reminds me of the Mad Hatter from that film. So um, obviously because he was the same actor. So and that was our first fun fact of the episode. And then we have a character of Mr. Death, played by Murray Hamilton. Also, a fun trivia fact from one of Joey's favorite movies. Uh, oh, he plays the uh, the mayor in Jaws. So I didn't didn't realize that the mayor with the uh, the stunning threads. He's wearing like some pretty fancy clothes. The the one that says "Don't close the beaches." That's the same guy. And uh, yeah, it, it, if you look at him, you can you can see. But obviously, this was many years before uh, before Jaws. Um, and then, who's our other actor from this? We have a child in this episode named Maggie, and she's played by Dana Dillaway, who really nothing notable about. She did some spots on TV, but d- hasn't really done or didn't really do anything since 1978. But she is a pretty notable character in um, this episode. So I picked this episode for us to watch. Um, It is one of my favorites of Twilight Zone. Um, I think I tend to sway towards the more sentimental episodes, uh, whereas Joey likes the very sci-fi paranormal episodes. So Yeah, and just when we were watching this, I turned to Jackie and said, oh, this is one of the sentimental episodes. And that's kind of like, I guess it's probably not an official distinction, but there's several, you can kind of break down these classic Twilight Zone episodes into a couple of genres. And I would say that one of the genres is sentimental, where uh, often written by Rod Serling himself, which I believe this one was written by Rod Serling. It was. Mm -hmm. Um, Because 
Rod Sterling likes to evoke a simpler time and feelings of family and, um, you know, a lot of these have to do with children, these episodes, um, or then they're a little more family friendly, I guess, and less scary in a way, even though this one deals with death. Um, it is, it is kind of a sentimental episode cause it kind of harkens back to a simpler time, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do we, we want to do a, a quick episode recap? Obviously we expect you to, uh, be watching these before you listen to this episode cause it won't make too much sense. We're not going too care too deeply into the recaps on these, but, um, the, the general story of this is that Lou Bookman is a, a, a salesman, like a traveling salesman, I guess. Um, he lives in a boarding house. Uh, he's obviously single, and it seems like he has been his whole life. Um, he has He's one of these salesmen from the 50s that sells stuff out of a suitcase, and he has various things like ties and little robot toys and things like that. Um, and we open the episode with him trying to sell products and then he comes home and obviously the kids that live in this tenement building that he lives in, uh, is that the right word tenement? Yes. Um, they, they're, they have a fondness for him cause he'll bring them toys and things like that. Um, and so one of the girls and the, one of the kids in particular is, uh, what's her name? In Maggie. This? Maggie. Um, and she's notable because later in the episode, something happens to her. Uh, well, he, he goes to his room and, um, this man is there just kind of out of the blue and it's a little scary and it's uh, basically the angel of death. Mm-hmm. I think he calls himself death, right? Or does Mr. he refer death. to himself? Mr. Death. Yeah. And he is here to tell Mr. Bookman it's time to go. Like your time's up and you're, you're going to, you're going to die. I'm here to like shepherd you to whatever's next. Um, and obviously Mr. Bookman as most people or does not want to die. And um, he quickly thinks on his feet and he comes up with sort of a barter for um to make a deal with mr death and he says that he has always wanted to make the greatest sell of his life like a a one for the angels like one for one of the great sales pitches of all time a pitch that no one will ever forget and he's never had a chance to do that um now whether that is truly one of his goals or if he has just made this up as something to keep him from uh going you know going with death right now we don't particularly know i would like to say some of both of it is true yeah uh i think he probably does have it seems like he hasn't accomplished the things in his life he's wanted to um but he's also a salesman and he thinks on his feet and it's a very salesman thing to do let me make you a deal mr death and so he he basically puts this off and mr death is like okay well when are you talking about it? he's like oh, i don't know maybe, <laughs> maybe and immediately never. retires yeah from his business yeah of trinket selling he's like i'm retired so he doesn't have to do the pitch and he just thinks that he has cheated death and he's real smug about it um yeah and uh death is not to be taken lightly he's he immediately when this happens i think he kind of teleports to the other side of the room and it's kind of creepy um and he, uh, we see that Mr. Death is like a supernatural being in that moment. And he, it, eventually it comes out, um, and it's been, been a little while since we've seen the episode, but it eventually comes out that um, death, someone has to pay the price here. So someone has to die when Mr. Death comes along. And it, it can either be the person he's coming for or it will have to be someone else. And, so... Uh, so Maggie comes to visit and after she leaves the apartment, we find out that indeed death is the one who has decided to take Maggie instead of Mr. Bookman. And she gets hit by a car outside of the 
apartment or tenement complex and it's notable because mr bookman rushes to her side and is wondering if she's okay and she asks him who the man standing behind her is and the it's mr death and she did not see him earlier when she was at mr bookman's place um when mr death was in the room but now that she's been hit by the car i guess we're made to believe that mr death arranged this accident i guess because someone has to pay the price mm-hmm. um and so uh, she's she's as as in these old things like she doesn't die immediately like in, in actual mm-hmm. real life she would probably be dead immediately or have to go to the hospital she's laid up in bed and uh, mr death says he will come back at midnight to to claim her um and so obviously bookman is distraught, distraught over this like he feels guilty it's his fault mm-hmm. Um, and then Mr. Death does return at midnight, and at this time... He's right. It's a, a bit before midnight, and Death encounters Mr. Bookman outside of the tenement, and um, he they're having casual conversation, and Mr. Bookman decides to start trying to sell him his wares, and he opens his little table, and... Because um, he's trying to distract Mr. Death so that... The time he's like once it hits midnight, it, the, the deal is done. But he's trying to keep her, him from her until midnight passes. So he he makes this pitch, and death again is thwarted because he is listening to the pitch of all these things, these minor things like ties and spices and trinkets, and midnight hits, and so. Maggie is spared and a bookman decides that he will then he is ready to go with death in place of Maggie. Well, because he's made his great pitch the the um the great pitch is him doing this distraction to try to keep Mr. Death from taking mm-hmm. Maggie. And so yeah, so it ends with Mr. Bookman going off with with uh with Mr. Death and at some point, Bookman says, uh, "I'll make you a great deal. Um, I'll give you myself and you know one whatever." He describes himself, and he's I, he's essentially saying he would be in service to death. And we can get back to that a little bit later with some theories on that. But um, so that, yeah, that's the wrap up. Um, he said, you, "You never know who might need something up there." Yeah, and then he's he says, "Oh well, up there," and death says, "Up there, Mister Bookman." So he's going to heaven. Um, so, do you think that Death arranged this situation knowing that it would force Bookman into doing the pitch? Or do you think that the pitch is uh, just spontaneous on Bookman's part? Like, do you think that Death knew this is how this would play out the whole time? Because he does seem surprised when Bookman does the pitch. Like he's he's right. he's like wow I really want to buy these things like he's really excited about it. I think that he probably arranged the specific accident to be related to um, Bookman to kind of get back at him for being um, trying to trick trying him. to trick him. But I don't think that the pitch was... I don't think Death knew about the pitch. So you think, think it's just a coincidence that the thing that Bookman said he always wanted to do is the thing he does to save Maggie? Because part of me wants to think that Death knows um, that this... Uh, part of me 
thinks that I don't know. I guess I'm more on the side of I feel like Death kind of knows this is going to happen this whole time, and so that's why he like he knows what the fate's going to be. I um definitely had not thought about it like that at all until you just brought it up. I mean, I could see it being like that. I mean, it doesn't matter. The result is the same, but his reaction to the pitch is genuine. Like he is excited and wants to buy the products. He's not uh, condescending or 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 patronizing him, I guess. But I feel like death kind of knows the how this. Hmm. It's all based on fate, right? So if if one thing has changed, then Maggie has to die. Like the fate of Bookman is the one. He's the one who has to go. Right. So it's changed. So I kind of feel like death kind of felt like the. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I think that's an interesting take on it. It's just not the way I usually view the episode. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's up to interpretation. the performances in this episode are great. Like Mr. Death could have been cheesy and not believable. Um, but he's very creepy, but also not an evil presence. He's just, mm-hmm. he's just what you would kind of imagine that maybe the angel of death would be. I kind of felt like we saw two deaths in this, <clears throat> um, or two Mr. Deaths in this episode. Cause when he first appears, it's kind of whimsical. Like he's in the apartment. He appears. Mm-hmm. The music is even whimsical at that point. So he's kind of appearing and reappearing around the apartment. And even though he's saying serious things and talking about death, it's very whimsical. It almost reminded me of to kind of bring it back to Alice in Wonderland, but it almost reminds me of when the Cheshire cat like appears and reappears. Yeah. A little bit. It's like whimsical. We also, but also the Cheshire cat is super creepy too. So it's like, it's a creepy whimsical. Um, and then he gets like the, the music changes and the screen gets darker and when we we realize that it's serious. Um, but in the beginning, I mean, Bookman's kind of a goof. He's kind Mm -hmm. of a, a dope in a way. Like, not in a mean, and I'm not saying that in a mean way, but he's just kind of a goofy dude. And so it is a very light sort of feeling at the beginning of the episode. And then it gets, obviously, when we start dealing with these heavier themes, it gets darker. When I think um, that the juxtaposition when where it gets really jarring is the accident. So mm-hmm. it's everything's kind of whimsical, and you're even like, man, Lou has cheated death. And yeah, because this don't has been s- a really short episode. Like, where's this going to go? And then. The the um the accident is super jarring for Lou, and so it's also super jarring for the audience, and mm-hmm. that's where we're like, oh well, now like there's we have stakes in this, and this is you know yeah the stakes are r- raised really quickly because I mean as the audience we don't want Mr. Bookman to die. He's a sweet goofy old older guy, but um yeah then as soon as we see that there's a price to be paid for him not dying when he's supposed to, um you know it is it is a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me bring this up to you. I posed this to you when we talked about it, and you didn't you didn't seem to agree with me. But so at one point, not in, it, it, before he says, "Do I need? They might need me to sell things to people in heaven." He offers himself as like death's assistant, and so I had this thought that like the way that he goes with death in the end is almost like he's going to work for him. So I was wondering if like death would employ him to deal with situations where he needed to be more sensitive or something hmm. like dealing with when children die or like maybe a child's parents die or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I maybe just thinking too much into it, but there was kind of this thought of mine that he was kind of in the, in the employ of death now. 
but yeah, I, maybe that's too that's morbid to think about. Way I don't to know, think about it is he is so good with the children and because death is a little bit harsh at times. You know, he's he doesn't have a, like a really great bedside manner with this stuff, but um, yeah, it was just something I thought about. Um, interesting. That is interesting. I did say that this was an episode that um, <clears throat> has a more not, I mean, a not happy ending because Bookman dies, but it's more of your happy ending. Whereas last episode that we covered, we weren't left with necessarily. Uh, you have often talked about the <clears throat> comments on social justice that the episode, a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes make. Right. And I, this is not necessarily one of those big statements mm -hmm. on social justice. It's more of the sentimental happy ending in contrast to what the um first episode was it wasn't a yeah that's why i would say this is one of the sentimental episodes because even though it does deal with death and even though mr bookman dies at the end you're not left with like the emptiness or the like some of these episodes end and you're like creeped out like you're like oh man that that's that kind of hit me in my soul and the last the where is everybody it's more like you're kind of like thinking about the implications of being alone and, and things like mm -hmm. that. And with this one, the story's completely wrapped up. It has a feel-good ending, even though Bookman dies. Um, he, he has kind of redeemed himself. He, is, he has done the thing. He, he's accomplished what he wanted to in his life, mm -hmm. and now he can, he can go away, and the little girl and survives. He, yeah, he so. saved Maggie. And yeah, so he's he, done something good in his life, you know. Um, the other thing I just noted during Bookman's pitch his big pitch is that death was exceedingly like into those pitches and it was not even a very good pitch in my opinion it was like he's like sweating and nervous and what well, as was a lot of these twilight Zone episode things it's it's more like stage acting at that point it's like how it would be in a play you know um and yeah, he is. It is kind of funny to watch Death, this sinister force, be like, "Oh, I need this silk tie. It's got silk from the the you know from the Orient or whatever um, in it. Uh, all these things that Bookman's describing these products, you know, to sell them. And he, he is, it does seem sincere, and that he wants to buy these things. He says, "I'll take it all. He'll buy it all. Buy it all." Yeah, it's. I mean, I I just pictured in a lot of movies. This is like older movies. It's a trope. The panhandler on the street who is selling i often think about it as like the guy on the the side of the street and he opens his coat and he has all these things like in it fake watches like, or something yeah. yeah it's there's a little bit of like a flim flam artist kind of thing to it yeah. but you know i don't know maybe they, they look like nice products so. it was just I don't know. it was funny to me it was yeah. a funny moment whereas in the first episode there's not anything that's like like that funny but mm -hmm. in a lot of these twilight zone episodes there are elements of humor yeah and, and, and those sentimental episodes do tend to, to have more of the humor in them um that's and this has you know the the main bookman is is this larger than life comedic presence i i, I fred uh what's his name the the, the actor that played him I just drew a blank uh fred win fred win uh was a comedic actor you know he he was known for his roles i i think he was in vaudeville too and did stuff mm -hmm. with that so before this know, this yeah. episode was actually written for him sterling oh, wrote it for him he did do you know the reason was for no other relationship than, there or hmm. um but that just that the entire cast just 
enjoyed him. He was, oh, they did. Yeah, oh, you they saw said that they, he they was said like a was real joy and a pleasure to work with. He was everybody loved working with him, and they were worried about the dialogue because Win has a bit of a lisp, and mm-hmm. it, you know yeah. they were worried that. He wouldn't be able to fulfill the role of a salesman because salesmen are quick talking and oh, they have to speak clearly. They speak and, clearly, yeah, yeah. and they were all worried that he wouldn't um, meet the standards of that because of his speech. But I think he he's quirky in a way that it's endearing. That he's maybe not. We know he's probably not the the best salesman out there, but he's trying and he's like got the heart in it. Maybe yeah. not the. Um, Skills. He, he sounds like Snagglepuss from uh from uh what is that? Born Har- Hanna Barbera cartoons. Oh, the, the, yeah. the Panther guy. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. he, and I I have a feeling maybe that character was based on him because a lot of those Hanna Barbera characters were based on on famous uh, older actors. But yeah, he has that's the kind of lisp he has, and that's the kind of like sing songy kind of way that he speaks. Is um mm-hmm. I don't know, but. Yeah, he he does a great job. The, the acting is phenomenal in this episode. Um, even the little girl, she's super cute too. Like she just is like the perfect girl mm-hmm. for this role. She's... Even though she looks like a child from Children of the Corn. <laughs> yeah. Or what it's... is the other one? Village of the Damned, because she's like the perfect little blonde hair. She's a classic like fifties mm-hmm. child, cute I guess. little girl with but, her pigtails, yeah. but. Um, yeah, so I've gone over a bit of the trivia, but um, yeah, let's, let's get into the trivia. I don't have a lot for this episode, but I did. Um, so the first episode was based on something that um, Surly had a moment in it that the in the phone booth where Serling oh, yeah, had where had experienced yeah. it, and then this one is based. It's actually based on a teleplay that Serling wrote after college. So the original teleplay uh, aired on another anthology series called Danger. I don't know if you've ever heard no. of that. I had not. Um, it was probably of uh, one of these like live play things. It was they... on um, CBS okay. from September of 1950 to May of 1955. But the original plot was a pitchman, a similar, the same kind of man, um, is trying to save his quote two pit two bit punk brother from okay. hitmen so yeah. okay. it, uh, he really we reworked it um plot plot wise but the elements are still there the element of trying mm-hmm. to talk death out of taking him and the original trying to talk a hitman out of killing his brother right um so okay yeah and then um noting again the narration piece so there is beginning and ending narration, but again, Serling is not in the scene. He does not appear yet. yet. Yeah, in the uh, as himself, he which is appear. such an iconic part of what I remember from yeah. Twilight Zone. So it's interesting to have picked two episodes where it's not the normal yet. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even notice that he wasn't in it, but now that you mentioned it, it's like it is a big deal. I, I don't know where when he starts appearing, but. Um, we're not we're not doing the next episode in order so we, we won't know for a little while but mm-hmm. i'm sure we get to that one we'll have the trivia for it but do you have any other trivia for this um just one little note that even though there were night scenes they were shot during the day because Wynn was older and had he trouble seeing yeah. at night <laughs> so they had to shoot them during the day so there wasn't like a great deal of trivia yeah 
for this episode, which there's going to be some that there's not, but it's a simple episode. It's it's a sweet story. It's very good. It's well done. Um, I can see one that had. I think this one probably has a lot of universal appeal. It was a great. It was a great second episode to air because if you weren't quite sure about that first one, this one would be like, oh, this is this is interesting mm-hmm. and you know and not scary or anything. It's and like, it's it will it's one that you could reach out. It is slightly paranormal in that in that it has death, but it's not these large sci- sci-fi it doesn't take characters or yeah. um and it just i think it tugs at the heartstrings of it's it's just some faith in humanity even though lou was selfish she turned it around mm-hmm. and like sacrificed quote kind of himself for the little girl again yeah um, you know nowadays i feel like that episode would be just someone cheating death and then letting the little girl die so yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the world we're in now. So it was it's endearing to see those kind of simple faith in humanity episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have any other like thoughts about it or like interpretations of the episode that you wanted to say or I mean, I I picked this one just because I remembered the character of Lou Bookman and yeah. like just thinking he was endearing. It's one that I've seen several times. We usually watch it in our marathon on mm-hmm. New Year's Day. It's just a simple one, lighthearted. Um, I wanted something. I wanted to cover one this week that was like kind of different from our first episode. Mm-hmm. So we had different things to talk about. Um, but I really think it's like that character of Lou Bookman is just he's the thing that sticks in my mind from this. Not even the even though. Um, Mr. Death was a great character and wonderfully acted. It's definitely Bookman who you pick yeah, out and remember. He's like your favorite uncle or something. He's like this likable yeah. character that you, mm-hmm. you kind of believe in. And, you know, whereas some of the Twilight Zone episodes, the main character is kind of shady in a way and they have to get out of something. He's like just a likable guy and you like want, mm-hmm. you root for him. And then the only thing that changes your mind is that, you know, a price has to be paid here. Uh, one way or the other, mm-hmm. and I, um, I'm it, like the first episode we watched in Where Is Everybody? Like I really couldn't care less. I mean, I couldn't stand the actor, and you know, like he just annoyed me. So it was right, like I didn't. So ha- you don't. Ha- yeah. And he is the only actor, and he did a great job. But you mean the character annoyed the you, character yeah. annoyed me, not the actor. But um, like you don't. This is a different type of episode because I feel like you. In the first episode, we empathized with like what he was feeling and being terrified of being the only person ever and so you empathize with the feelings and here you're just like you identify with a character and you like the character and you're like you can probably pick out the old man from when you were little who gave you a quarter every time he saw you or told you that funny joke so i feel Mm -hmm. like everybody has a lou bookman in their life at some point yeah so it's kind of something that you can identify more with as a person, whereas you can identify with the fear from the first episode, but this is going to mm-hmm. give you warm, fuzzy feelings sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think that that wraps it up pretty good. Um, now we're going to give it a number. What, what were we doing? What was our rating scale? One, One to, to 10? ten. What did we give the last episode? So I rated the last episode at like a 4.7 and you gave it a five. Yeah. For the first one. Um, I'll go seven on this one. It's not like, I think it's in the upper echelons of the Twilight Zone. It's not my favorite episode, but I like it a lot. I mean, I'm not going to turn it off. It's on the TV. Mm -hmm. So I'll give it a seven. Yeah, I'm going to go a little higher with an eight. 
Okay. Just What's well, one of your favorites? So. Yeah. It's just one of those ones I have an attachment to. So yeah. I think it's well acted. Mm-hmm. It's a good storyline. Yep. It's identifiable. And it's, you know, on the happier side of things, which I don't normally pick the happier side <laughs> yeah. of things. I usually like a nice happy story. The, uh, the other things. When we watch other horror movies or anthologies, I tend to like the darker episodes. But it seems in the Twilight Zone, I'm not as drawn to... Yeah. Some of the darker ones. I think because of the subject matter, it's just, it doesn't feature, uh, like, it, it's competently shot and everything, but it doesn't feature some of the exciting camera angles and stuff that mm-hmm. some of the episodes that are my favorites are, and the editing is not yeah. as that complicated because it's a very simple story. But uh, I think that's what knocks it down a little bit for me. And, and there's not, like, a lot of them have that really jarring plot twist. Yeah. This I, isn't, yeah. there's a plot mm-hmm. twist, but it's not as jarring, I think, as some of the other episodes well the that twist we'll kind of comes when the girl gets hit we don't mm-hmm. realize that she's gonna die you know and like that's kind of the twist comes kind of early in the episode so yeah it isn't one of these these big twist endings but um yes yeah, very good episode no. um do you have anything else you want to say about it before we i don't close think it so out? um so what are we going to watch next time all right so we are going to move on to not <laughs> the first season yeah, we are moving. We are on. going to watch the episode entitled "Masks." Yes. Do you know which uh, season that comes I'm from? I'm looking it up right now. Sorry, I oh. didn't have it up. I was not no, prepared. No, it's okay. So, "Masks" is from season five. So we're jumping to season five, um, which is the last season of the Twilight Zone. So. It is, um, and its original air date was. In March, so we're moving from October episodes to March episodes. And what what's the series episode number for that? Oh, sorry, it is um, season five, episode twenty five. Okay. And again, if you are looking for where to find this, it is they stream on Netflix, Hulu, CBS All Access. You can find them. It's almost everywhere. Everywhere so you can find it there, and just look for the masks. Is the episode, and we will cover it next week. And uh, you can check us out at uh, DOI Podcasts dot com i believe that's our web address right um and we are on spotify and on apple and everything else so subscribe to us uh and i don't know send us uh send us some feedback at uh what was our what was our email address <laughs> wow Do you remember it we're real good at this yeah dimensions of imagination at gmail.com yeah send so us it's some a feedback. long one but let us know if you like it let us know if there are episodes that you have a are a fav, fan of and want us to cover um we're gonna do two more weeks of the og twilight zone yeah and then we're gonna move on to something else so you'll uh, but we will come back to the og uh, twilight zone before long so um, send us send us your favorite anthology series and episodes, and we'll uh, we'll check it out. And you know we're just getting started, so things are going to get a little smoother as we go along and figure everything out. But we yeah. appreciate you listening, and uh, yeah, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, this is uh, Joey and Jackie, and we're out. Mm-hmm.